Chemotherapy has been shown to improve outcomes in patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. But do all patients really need it? Not only that, they come with a bag of several side effects. Emerging trial data may help us better understand who among our patients with hormone receptor positive HER2 negative node positive breast cancer would benefit from chemotherapy and who could safely avoid it. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pavani Chalasani, and joining me today to share key findings from the RX Ponder trial is the lead author, Dr. Kevin Kalinsky, director of Glenn Family Breast Center at the Winship Cancer Institute at Emory University. Dr. Kalinsky, thanks for joining me today. Dr. Chalasani, thanks for including me. To start us off, can you give us a brief overview of the RX Ponder study and the key objectives the study focused on? Responder was a study of 5,000 patients where 5,000 patients being randomized, that they had hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative breast cancer with one to three nodes involved, and the recurrence score was anywhere between zero to 25. If the recurrence score was greater than 25, patients were not followed as part of the study, but were recommended to receive chemotherapy followed by endocrine therapy. And for the 5,000 or so patients who met the criteria, the eligibility criteria, it was randomized in a one-to-one fashion to chemotherapy followed by endocrine therapy versus endocrine therapy alone. And the objective of the study was to determine the potential benefit in this population of chemotherapy or not, and to look at whether chemotherapy was prognostic and predictive in this particular population. Can you just share some highlights of the key findings? So the primary endpoint of the study was looking at invasive disease-free survival. And we reported the initial data at San Antonio at the 2020 conference and then published a follow-up of this in the New England Journal of Medicine in December, where we saw significant difference between postmenopausal and premenopausal women. And this was a pre-planned analysis. And for the postmenopausal women, you know, we saw that for invasive disease-free survival, as well as additional endpoints like distant relapse-free survival. And we also had a presentation at San Antonio in 2021 where we looked at distant relapse-free interval. And across the board, with all of those endpoints, we saw for postmenopausal women that there was not uh, an improvement of giving chemotherapy in these patients when looking at those particular endpoints. And if you look at five-year outcomes, there was no difference. We couldn't find a subgroup for whom there was a benefit. But this was different than the premenopausal women, where we saw across all of those endpoints that there was a statistically significant benefit across recurrent score zero to 25 for the patients who were randomized to receive chemotherapy versus those that were not. Great. So given the results of this trial, where do you see how clinicians use this assay in routine practice? We've seen from the prospective study, Taylor X, that there was for patients with no negative breast cancer, that was hormone receptor positive for negative disease, that there was a benefit in terms of the clinical utility of the Oncotype score. What we didn't know were for patients with no positive disease. I do think that this study helped establish the clinical utility of this assay. You know, for our patients with postmenopausal, who are postmenopausal, clearly there was not a population of patients who had one to three positive nodes and recurrent score that was less than 26, who seemed to benefit, right? So that was a clearer population. I think for the premenopausal population, there was benefit for chemotherapy across all of those patients. And I think that this has raised a few questions, including, is that benefit specifically due 
to the ovarian infection suppression effect? Is there a direct effect as well? Uh, I also think the important thing in terms of how people utilize the test, you know, I think in the postmenopausal women, it's clear that there's benefit in, in checking the test. I also think for the premenopausal patients, there's prognostic utility, meaning if your recurrence score is 22 in your premenopausal, and if your recurrence score is two in your premenopausal, your risk, your absolute risk is different meaning that your absolute benefit from chemotherapy, even though across that range, if you look at the hazard ratio, it's similar, the absolute benefit is higher. So I also think it does help to inform the conversation. Yeah. So can you comment on for premenopausal women, if the recurrence score does come back at two or things, you know, like on the study at this time, they would have been recommended endocrine therapy, correct? Yeah. So if, for the patients with recurrent scores 0 to 25 in your premenopausal, we saw that you know across the different increments that there was a numeric benefit with the addition of chemotherapy. I think that there's a likelihood that we could be over-treating patients. And you know, that's the last thing that we want to do. And also I just want to mention in responder that it was about a third of patients. So I think that when we're talking about this with patients, we have to keep in mind the risk. And I will say that if you have a patient who's in front of you, let's say you have a 40 year old woman with a one centimeter tumor and one lymph node involved, and you check a recurrence score and it comes back as two, is it appropriate to think about having the conversation about doing ovarian function suppression plus hormonal therapy? As opposed to the discussion about chemotherapy, I think it's something we need to talk about risks and benefits and things we do and don't know with patients. I also think that this, in general, remains a gray area. So on that note, you know, in the context of COVID-19 pandemic, and there were like significant delays for surgeries, there has been a significant uptake in the neoadjuvant treatments that we use for patients. So infrequently, all of us come across in tumor board where patients there are hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative. In the no negative setting, we tend to have a little bit more flexibility, but in the, let's say we see a patient with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, node positive setting. Given this, is this something you would use the, these assays to determine if we can use chemotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting? Yeah, you know, this I think is the hardest thing to discuss in tumor board. And what I generally say, and maybe we'll remove COVID from this equation. We've learned some things since then. But I think the question is about the role of genomics in this subtype of breast cancer. And I think whenever I have the conversation about giving therapy before surgery, the question is, well, what is the intent of doing the treatment before? What are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to improve surgical outcomes? Do you need to debulk the axilla? Are you aiming to have breast conservation therapy? Is the tumor very large and, and you really need to see a significant response? So I think there is that nuance in there. If you look at the ASCO-CAP guidelines about the genomic assays, where there was no consensus that there are clear guidelines to suggest the utility of checking these assays in the neoadjuvant setting, just because some of these studies are smaller uh, studies and have not, are not necessarily associated with long-term outcome. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. 
I'm Dr. Pavani Chilasani, and I'm speaking with Dr. Kevin Kalinsky about the Rx Ponder trial. And to bring all these assays together or things, can you tell us the role of the recurrent score assays and the other genomic assays that we have currently available in uh, clinical practice and where you would use the different assays? I appreciate the question because it is important to reiterate that this is not the only assay that's commercially available. There are others like the 70 gene mammoprint assay. There's endopredict. Uh, there's for Cigna. We also have, for instance, the breast cancer index, which is an assay that looks over at H over I. And when that's utilized, it's really in the context of determination of extending endocrine therapy or not. I will say in terms of large randomized studies, we have data from the MindDAC study, which was designed differently, which was looking at clinical risk and genomic risk and was looking, the primary endpoint was based upon looking at that high clinical risk and low genomic risk population. And what I will say is that they have additional follow-up in these cohorts, in the, in the MindDAC cohort. And if you look at eight-year metastasis, distant metastasis-free survival, again, in that high clinical risk and low genomic risk population, I will say that the overall population couldn't find a population who seemed to benefit from chemotherapy, but the same story is playing out here. So if you look at the patients who are age 50 or less, there was a 5% absolute difference in distant metastasis-free survival at eight years in that high clinical risk, low genomic risk population in those who got chemo or not, as opposed to the patients who were greater than 50 years of age. So what I will say just about utilization of assays, you know, in those guidelines that I mentioned, they also reiterate the point that one shouldn't necessarily check more than one assay. So I would stick with the assay that you determined to check or you opt to check. But the other thing that I would also say about if one is utilizing the 70 gene mammoprint assay, I would think about it in the context of the MindDex study. So one of the other things that we frequently come across when they're discussing is how they're using, you know, the recurrent scores or the mind, you know, the scores when they have the high genomic is the type of chemotherapy to use. So if you could just comment on the types or what, if there is any correlation between the scores and the chemotherapy you would recommend. There are not data that suggest that recurrent score can be predictive of specific chemotherapy. Right. I will say in Responder, we did look back and look to see patients who got non-anthracycline and anthracycline-based treatment. However, when we did this exploratory post-hoc analysis, we couldn't see a difference between those who received a taxane versus not. These are all great insights that you have shared, but I want you to give the final word, Dr. Kalinsky. Do you have any other takeaways that you would like to leave our audience with today? I think that for me the question and the future of utilization of assays to determine treatment, I think that in future podcasts, we are likely to be talking about blood markers, including circulating tumor DNA. And, you know, there are studies that are starting and or about to start that's going to be looking at the clinical utility of these assays, not just to determine prognostic risk, but also if you change the treatment, whether you can decrease the likelihood of recurrence. Great. With those final thoughts in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Kevin Kalinsky, for sharing his findings from the Rx Ponder trial and insights on chemotherapy for patients with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, node positive breast cancer. Dr. Kalinsky, it was great having you on the program today. Thanks, Dr. Kalinsky. I'm Dr. Pavani Chilasani. To access this and other episodes in our series, 
visit reachmd.com slash project oncology, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.